Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to Believe in Softball. I'm your host, Jenna Becerra, and a lot of summer softball is in the books. It is hard to believe that fall is just around the corner. So however you got here today, whether it was an audio podcast platform like Apple, Spotify, etc., or watching on YouTube, thank you. Subscribe and rate the show if you haven't yet. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Believe in Softball. That's B-L-E-A-V. And there's merch. Click the link in our bio on either of those pages or go to shop.believe.com to purchase three different shirts available for you for some of our favorite segments, covering our bases, safer out, and catch you soon. All right, let's go through today's batting order. First, we'll be covering our bases. I'll give you some news and call-outs from around the softball world. Then we'll head into today's interview with Sherry Kemp. She is well-known for her leadership roles in pro softball leagues like AU, Athletes Unlimited, and the NPF, but also as a player. She was a 92 World Cup champion with Team USA, four-time national champion, a self-taught pitcher who ended up being an instructor and had her own business with Club K, covered softball for years as a broadcaster. I mean, you name it. It seems like she's done it. This is actually the second time she's been on the show. She led off season two for us. I recommend listening to that one, by the way. And now here we are in season four. So I'm excited to catch up on everything since then, especially as Athletes Unlimited season just wrapped. Then we'll end things with the foul tip of the week, where we share tips to help us get better. All right, let's get started. Covering our bases. First, I want to start with the Athletes Unlimited Championship season. It's season four for this league, which is wild to think about. But some of the headlines, Odyssey Alexander is the champ. And I liked hearing what she had to say afterwards when they interviewed her. She said she felt her best mentally and that she was just being free when she was out there playing. And I love that she, of course, gave a lot of credit to her teammates and the rest of the folks in the league with her. But she also said, I'm proud of me. And I think that's good because you should be proud of yourself too. And I felt like she had such a good balance of that pride for herself as well as everyone else who helped her. And then seeing her family and knowing that they were there, like her grandpa and her niece, et cetera, that's just really exciting too. And I think what we all love about sports. And it really did have me flashing back to the 2021 Women's College World Series. And I was thinking this, and then I saw one of our friends of the show, Karen Johns, actually tweet or she posted on X. Greatness cannot be kept quiet. We all saw this day coming back in OKC. I felt like that summarized it so, so well, because we did. I mean, what she did at that time in the college world just felt like foreshadowing for what she's doing now in the pro world. And I think it's it's really cool to do it in this type of format because you're not just the best performing player to be the champion. You're in a leadership position as a pitcher in her case, but you're also you know the smartest or most effective captain in this situation. And she did it as a player coming from a mid-major school like JMU. And you think about people like Sydney McKinney being the number one draft pick from Wichita State and Sam Fisher from LMU. You think about how more and more players from mid-major schools are represented at this level. And she's also a woman of color. And Alicia Ocasio, for example, talked about the importance of that when she won back in season two of the championship series. See it to be it. It just feels pretty big time. 
The other medalists were Alyssa Denham, Daniel Gibson, and Rachel Garcia. And I have to say, Denham seems just to be getting better and better as a professional player. As the competition gets better, it seems like she does, which I, I love to see that. And then the defensive player of the year was Jesse Warren, who, by the way, if you remember, was also the AUX defensive MVP. So this is another one where we knew back in our OKC days with Florida State, they still play her diving catch at the Women's College World Series in the highlights every single year. And getting to see her and Sis Bates on the left side of the infield together, I mean, are you kidding me? It's amazing. And you all know that I love defense. We see outstanding defensive plays constantly in Athletes Unlimited. Do you think there should be a way to earn more defensive points? I want to know what you all think. And then, of course, I have to give a shout out to the Believers, who did really well this season in Athletes Unlimited. Four in the top ten. Garcia, as mentioned, was number four. Gwen Speckis was number five. Not her first time being number five, by the way. Spent a lot of time in the top ten during her AU career. Kelsey Stewart at number nine, and Hannah Flippin at number 10. And then last, but absolutely not least, Rookie of the Year, Megan Faremo, who you all know, we got to talk to her during her time at AUX as she was transitioning out of college into the professional world. And it is just so cool seeing her evolve as a pro right before our eyes. And the league has evolved as well. It's cool that there's history that we can actually look at now as a league. You know, the first back-to-back medalist in a championship series, Alyssa Denham. Shout out to Rachel Garcia because she did become the AUX champion and then obviously medaled in this round. But in terms of championship series, Denham the first back-to-backer. Highest attended AU game in league history was champ day in season four. That feels poetic in a lot of ways. But just the fact that this league is getting to a point where it does have history and that history is starting to mean something because everything was historic at first. It was the first of everything. But now we're seeing this constant push that just gets better and better over time. So, of course, we're going to talk way more about all things AU in today's interview. Second, the transfer portal, college softball. We have been monitoring, as you know, some of the biggest names in the college transfer portal this offseason. A lot of folks have found their place now since they've entered the portal and schools now started for semester schools, for example. But a big one that everyone's talking about right now is Kelly Maxwell going to OU. After four years at Oklahoma State, the grad transfer goes to the in-state rival in Norman. There has been debate about it. On the one hand, some people talk about how rivalries are one of the things that we love most about college sports. And while transferring in general might not be an issue, transferring to a known rival could be another story. Does it burn bridges? You could point out that Bedlam is the in-state rivalry in Oklahoma. Head coach Kenny Gajewski was quoted as saying that Kelly has, quote, lost everything here that she's ever done, and, quote, as long as I'm here, it'll be hard for her to come back here. Letting that sink in. But then on the other hand, others advocate that a student athlete should be able to go wherever they feel is right for, for them, whatever the right fit is, should they have to apologize for it. It's been noted, for example, that Kenny Gajewski was a national champion baseball player at OU before working at Oklahoma State. You could also argue that the bigger rivalry is the OU-Texas rivalry. They're going to the SEC together. So with all this in mind, I would love to know what you think. How do you feel about college athletes transferring to rival programs? In the meantime, third, we have fall ball. One of the fun parts that I remember from the offseason in college is getting to play some games in the fall. It's a grind at practice every day, training, the weight room. To get to actually play those games is really, really nice. 
And some programs have started to announce their fall ball schedules on social media and on their websites. And if they haven't yet, they might soon. So keep an eye out on your favorite programs to catch some more college softball in 2023 ahead of the 2024 season. You also get a glimpse at the newbies too, which is fun. And to bring it home, speaking of newbies, I've been a little bit of one myself. I've actually been expanding to call new sports in my broadcasting career. And actually talking with Sherry kind of boosted my motivation for it even more. Because as we all know, Athletes Unlimited is not just softball. It includes women's volleyball, lacrosse, and basketball too right now. And they just want to keep expanding if they can. So talking with her about her involvement in all of the sports kind of got me excited about it all over again. And for me, that looks like, you know, I just called my first couple of field hockey games this fall last week. I have more volleyball matches coming up after doing my first one last fall. I did soccer last year. I was solo by myself on ESPN Plus for the first round of the NCAA tournament and just kind of dove right in. And it was really, really fun. And, you know, softball is number one. We all know that. But I also love supporting all women's sports because it's just nonstop. And someone else who is nonstop is today's guest. So let's head into the interview. She's an executive at Athletes Unlimited, former commissioner of National Pro Fast Pitch, longtime broadcaster and instructor, and Hall of Fame player, Sherry Kempf. Sherry, it's really nice to have you back on the show. I can't believe it's been a few years since last time. Look, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And it's wild because last time we chatted, the first season of Athletes Unlimited Softball had just finished. And now the fourth season has just finished. And a million, it feels like, seasons of other sports in between. Has that sort of sunk in yet? You know, it's funny. When I do, when I hear the number, 11 seasons, 12 seasons, it it is kind of uh, mind boggling because I think in any case in a situation like this, it's a startup, it's something new, it's this sport and this sport and this sport. And in the middle of all that is softball. And so I think, uh, I think it is a little, it's the nature of the beast to some degree, but it is difficult to really absorb this, you know, we're, we're now a fourth season of softball just completed and, you know, really rolling with the other three sports as well. So, um, long answer to your question, but no, I, I think it's tough to to take it all in. Yeah, I mean, as somebody who's been watching since the beginning, I mean, it's even tough for me kind of to wrap my head around it a little bit. You know, at this point, we've had more than 20 AU softball athletes on this show. Plus, we've had announcers like wow. Daniel Laurie and facilitators in the past, like Lauren Lappin, Jen Salling, and, and obviously execs like yourself. So even just trying to wrap my head around that is is a little bit crazy. Yeah, it's a lot. And it's a company that that was aggressive, I think, from the start. I mean, from by the near, very nature of launching amid COVID when a, a lot of other more well-established leagues and sporting, sporting events were shut, uh, you know, completely just kind of sitting on the sidelines. And uh, so we, we launched amid COVID in August of 2020 and then really have never taken our foot off the gas. I think, you know, three sports within 12 months and then four sports in 18 months. And then the expansion of softball, uh, you know, to add AUX in 2022 and to keep that going. And we continue to talk about more expansion. So that's really exciting. I mean, I'm obviously always on board for anything Athletes Unlimited is going to do. So I'm excited to see what expansion 
looks like um, moving forward. Because just thinking about the journey from season one to now and through all the seasons, as you mentioned, how would you kind of describe what that process has been like in terms of what you've learned and what you've been able to build? I think the process was and and remains fast and furious. I think if you are uh, on the inside of um, working these events and working in Athletes Unlimited generally, it is a it is fast and furious. There's a lot coming at you. I mean, we just finished three sports in two and a half months uh, with lacrosse, AUX, and then softball championship, and you know, we have in two weeks, we have media days for volleyball. So it is a, a it's certainly a, a very busy time of year. But I think that what you have seen is, first of all, from the launch, from the idea and the concept uh, by John Patrickoff and Jonathan Soros, I think you've seen that uh, a commitment to that, first of all, to to stay the course to set this unique formatting into four um, different sports that otherwise had seen nothing even remotely close to it. And then really to to stick with it and to make a commitment to um, fans, both in venue, once we could start having those fans and um, through broadcast and, and other mediums to get people um, to be able to see the product. So uh, I think it's it's been those are the things that stick with me. There's no denying that it is intense uh, from a from the standpoint of being on the inside and being involved in all the sports and all the happenings. But there's also uh, I have a lot of respect for the commitment and for never you know the, I can I could tell you you know two or three times when I myself, just knowing how significant this is for women's professional sports, there are times when, you know, I thought in my heart, oh no, you know, this this is going to be a moment where we pause or tap the brakes a bit. And really to the credit of the co-founders, um, they, they just haven't done that. They just have not accepted anything less than uh, full steam ahead. Well, and that's been evident, I think, just as a fan and someone who who watches not just softball, but when you look at volleyball, when you look at lacrosse, when you look at basketball as well. I, I think it's interesting and very cool that this is such a focus, at least right now, on women's sports. And you mentioned the co-founders, the Johns, they're male founders that invested in women's sports. And I think that is just such an interesting aspect to all of this when we think about you know, the type of support that we need for women's sports. Well, and I, and I just think it can't, it can't be lost. It is the most significant movement for women's professional sports in history to launch four platforms, three of which did not exist in the United States. That's softball with the NPF gone, uh, in, indoor volleyball and lacrosse. Um, none of those had platforms. Basketball did not in the. It, we certainly have given a very valid and, and, and terrific option for basketball players to stay in this country in the off season from the WNBA. But I think that is all significant. And then when you look at you talk about volleyball and talk about just commitment. So there's that's probably the best example of all. So volleyball was played in the spring for two two seasons, two years. And then when we went with ESPN, 
we with along with them decided that it would be better placed in the fall but instead of going away for 18 months or whatever it was 16 months and just not having volleyball last spring we went on a volleyball tour and and toured campuses with an all-star lineup of our professionals so again that's just a sign to say you know here's the easy path and and here's a more challenging one which one's the right move and then you and you do that regardless of uh you know what whether it's challenging or not and the partnerships like you said i know espn for for softball volleyball across there's an exclusivity with them in 2023 um which, which is great i think the the exposure there has been fantastic but to be able to have those conversations with your partners to figure out what's best for the audience and the athletes, of course, like I think that piece is really important too to be able to have that kind of communication. For sure, and and I think that you've seen that flexibility. You've seen, you know, we really don't uh, go to ESPN and say this is absolutely where we have to be, and this has to be our game time. We really want the best exposure on their platforms that they're willing to to give us, and we've been flexible and pliable with that. And I think that's, you know, that's pretty much a theme throughout Athletes Unlimited. It, it is a, although it's a very unique model and it's set up differently, there's uh, constant uh, flexibility, I think. And that's with feedback from uh, certainly our players um, who have a lot of contributions to be made internally, our partners, uh, not just our broadcast partners, but others. And then hopefully we continue to hear and listen to fans and what they want and, and what's going to really be moving to them. When you said it too, you're establishing three opportunities that at the time, you know, didn't really exist in the States. I think with volleyball in particular, that example of the fact that you had to go overseas basically to play professionally. And now there's this opportunity with AU is so interesting but then you have partnerships as well on the basketball side with like the WNBA and the League Pass platform where you could watch some Athletes Unlimited games. So that element of sort of working together with an existing league as well, I also see that with Athletes Unlimited in addition to, you know, creating new things and new opportunities. I, I think it's something that women's sports and women's professional sports in particular need. And it's something that has not only been absent, it's been totally the other direction. So it's been us getting in our own way. It's been us working against each other uh, at, at different times, various times. And I say this all the time that, you know, my introduction to John Patrickoff was I was the commissioner of the MPF. And the reason that we were on the phone together was to work together. And that came from him. You know, I was used to being bristled, even internally on the NPF. We had folks that weren't always rowing in the same direction for the good of everyone. But I was so used to people coming after us that I kind of couldn't believe it. I, it was a head scratcher for me why this guy's on the phone trying to say, hey, we think if we did come into the space of softball, uh, we could make this stronger and better for players. And I knew that was absolutely true. And that's why you saw that first softball season for Athletes Unlimited started at the end of August. It was designed to start after the NPF championship. So right. I think for me, you know, that feels good too. I have, you know, collaboration is strength. 
And when you are at a point of weakness and, and a lack of strength, which is what women's professional sports in general, uh, that's the space you're operating from. Very little leverage, very little strength. So when you have collaboration, that's when all boats are going to rise. And for some reason, that's difficult uh, for some folks to see, but um, it's, it feels really good to be on that side of it and to be holding your hands out to other people. And I think it, I think they feel the, the same. I think when you see us playing, you know, we play our home, our whole lacrosse season at the home of USA Lacrosse, which is a beautiful facility with a beautiful building there in, in Sparks, Maryland. Uh, the whole venue is, you know, pristine. We play, uh, you know, and when we look at volleyball, we are talking about collaborating with USA Volleyball carries a lot of the games and historically has done that when when it was possible. And then you mentioned it just a second ago. You look at basketball and our games, all but five of them were on League Pass, WNBA League Pass last year. And that also was a collaboration. I think that not only felt good to us and in particular to our players, but it also felt good to the WNBA. And I think that's, uh, I think we, we realize, I think most folks realize uh, that you're only stronger um, if you'll just stand together. Right, right. And you mentioned facilities. So that makes me think of for softball, just being in Rosemont at what was the Chicago Bandits, you know, um, field and stadium for a while. And I know right now, actually, Kansas City, in terms of soccer, professional soccer, women's soccer, is getting a lot of credit for, you know, constructing a stadium for specifically pro soccer. But I think back to, you know, the fact that this facility in Rosemont has existed and it really was just for professional softball. So I feel like, you know, that stadium's getting some credit as the first, but I kind of want to give that credit to softball because that did exist. Yeah, Jenna, that is exactly, I've seen the same and I'm, I'm a girl that grew up 50 miles from Kansas City. So I'm quite proud of them. And I'm proud of what they've developed there uh, with with soccer. But Rosemont and the mayor of Rosemont, Brad Stevens, was the first person to build a professional stadium just for a women's pro sports team. Um, that was not a multi-purpose venue. I mean, it is used at times for other things, but it was built for the Chicago Bandits. So uh, I think that too uh, shouldn't go, uh, you know, underplayed. And that is the support really from the outset. My goal when I could tell that John Patrickoff was talking about it might be volleyball, it might be ice hockey, it might be this. And softball was in the conversation. My goal was to, to sell it, you know, to make sure that he believed softball was the right thing. And Rosemont was so instrumental in making that a convincing pitch because of the venue and because of not only that, but you have the stadium that's 100% artificial, a stone's throw away. You have the dome with two full fields that has been critical to us. And, and especially when we launched in COVID, to be able to have that dome where our players could be and train and be isolated and still, you know, have some mentality that you need um, in, in when you're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, but also just the support that Rosemont has given us from a staffing, uh, from a, helping us with ticketing, helping us just operate that 
at a very high level. Um, so I think when you look at uh, partners and if you go back to the NPF and the Chicago Bandits, once Rosemont took over ownership of that, they are that group that holds their hands out and said, and will be the first to say, how can we make this better? So it's been very cool to um, see this iteration of Rosemont and that stadium and their commitment to, to the sport. Absolutely. Because for me, it's, it's so fun to see every single essentially competition outside of the first ever AUX being at San Diego state. And then of course went on the road a little bit with the little league partnership this year, but pretty much everything has been in Rosemont for softball for athletes unlimited. And it's one thing, you know, to be a part of a a new venture like athletes unlimited. It's another thing to be the sport that launches it the way that softball that to be the first of the first, you know? And so I think that's, um, I don't know. I just, I agree with you. And I wanted to give that credit to Rosemont because I do think it's been huge. Thank you. Thank you. And that's a perfect observation. (laughs) But, and you've mentioned holding your hands out and that's actually a theme. I remember that we talked about last time, which it's been a while. It's been a few years since, since we've had you on the show, but I remember that being a theme back then, just in that first season. And now here we are, you know, several seasons ahead. And at the time, Athletes Unlimited was the only softball option for professional play here in the States. Now, when you have a WPF, for example, and they're focused on softball specifically, whereas Athletes Unlimited obviously is more horizontal across a few women's sports, do you think there is an opportunity there the way there was with the WNBA partnership? Yeah, you know, I hope so. I, I think softball has been a sport, uh, just having been in the space for a long time, I think it's been a sport that's very splintered. I think that you've had uh, you've had some people come into the sport in various roles that have been interested um, basically in their own climb and their own position in it in terms of power. So I, unfortunately, softball has been that sport that's been, I, I think, divided a lot. Um, I'm pulling, I will tell you, I'm pulling for the WPF. I like that. I like the traditional model as well. And I think that Athletes Unlimited was always built as a complement and, and a uh, platform that can live well and play well with others and really strengthen the space for women. Uh, so I think. Uh, I hope that we see, I think we all do, you know, you have a couple of volleyball leagues launching now. And, you know, I think we, we hope that for women, it's opportunity and it's a chance for them to be full-time professionals in something that I always say they were born to do, um, that they're excellent at. So um, I think when you look at the space of softball and in terms, you know, I'm a softball fan at heart and first and foremost, but um, I, I hope that's the the way that comes out. But I think in, at first, even in, within the WPF, they have to be rowing in the same direction. They have to have for every single owner and every single player, what's first and foremost for them has to be the survival and the elevation of the league itself. Yeah. Yep. And I thought it was nice, for example, when we talk about working even with, you mentioned like with lacrosse, the facility using the USA facility, seeing this this summer, for example, some folks from both Athletes Unlimited and the WPF taking that time to go and compete with Team USA, for example, going to Dublin in that first round of the World Cup 
it, it was nice that AUX and, and the AU Champ Series didn't conflict at all. So it's an, a great opportunity for it to be kind of this continuous, you know, um, just playing for these for these athletes. But then also it was nice that the WPF was allowing some of those athletes to, to leave part-time during the season to come back. But I just liked seeing that um, collaboration, it felt like, between those two as well. Yeah, I think you have to have consideration. You, you, you definitely have to. And, and I think that go, that's all the way around. I think back to the early days of the NPF, as I was coming into being commissioner, one of the problems for the teams at that time was that USA Softball was taking them not just for competition, but taking them for, you know, four or five weeks up to that. Oh, we're going to go do a tour here and we're going to practice here and we're going to do this and that. And so somebody at teams that were spending money on those athletes to not only pay them a salary, but bring them in and take care of them, they were missing them for more than half the season. So I think you have to pay attention to those things uh, altogether. I know we already, um, Chris Seabrin sends me the dates for USA softball every time they, you know, are determined. And it's something that, that we talk about and, and look at and try to make sure that we're making space. We're extremely proud of our players that are national team players and hopefully again, Olympians. Um, and we want to make sure that they're getting to do that as well. That's, that's a unique and extreme honor. And I think we'd be very happy if there was a way that our players could be in athletes unlimited and also WPF. Well, and there were so many uh, Olympians across the board to your point um, who ended up competing in Tokyo, who have been a part of athletes unlimited. Like it, I do think that it was such a big part of the prep, especially like you said, COVID, there weren't a lot of opportunities. Kind of the only softball we got outside of the first little bit of the college season was AU in 2020. And so they did get to play and have that before the Olympics. And I think that seems like it was just a, a big part of not only not only preparing them from a softball standpoint, but the the impression I got from chatting with all of them on here was just sort of like mental and emotional preparation and almost like getting to have that, that sort of love for softball in the midst of something that was really hard. Yeah. Yes, I agree. And I think that just, uh, you mentioned the mental part of it. I think, you know, when you, when we talk about being, uh, you know, isolated into a place where you don't get to go out to the public, I'll never forget Kat Osterman saying, uh, I think she tweeted it out, but she said, Starbucks is literally 100 feet from our hotel. I can't imagine what those employees think when we continue to have coffee delivered. But they couldn't go out. They couldn't go in a restaurant or anything. So um, I think that uh, for them to be actually get to be isolated with their friends, that year our roster was 56. So to go somewhere and you got to be around 55 people. That's more than most people got to do during during the isolation of the pandemic. So um, I do think that was a – and they always said, I think those players loved that season, and they always said, we know it'll never be quite the same again once the world opens back up. So, Well, and that's true for Athletes Unlimited in general, where it's like each week you feel like you kind of fall in love with with your team, it seems. And then that team might not ever exist ever again, right? <laughs> because that's just the nature it. of it. Um, but it's still a great experience, it, it appears, at least from what they've told me. 
Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that is universal. It's across all of our sports. It's certainly a different dynamic, but it's why a lot of the players say they love it, you know, and that there's this competition challenge of, hey, I have to figure out this new catcher or middle infielders have to figure out, you know, what, what it feels like and looks like to play out there in tandem with someone. But I think that um, also you just see this group. I, I always smile. I'm sitting usually in the truck watching the broadcast and I smile when I see, you know, somebody round first and go back to first and you can see them having this casual fun conversation with the first baseman or they'll help each other up or there'll be a hard slide in the second and they go check with the person. So, you know, it's, um, I think uh, after Rachel Garcia hit, hit Sydney Romero for the second or third time and, you know, one that really you could see hurt her, um, they were, they were on the same team the next week. And so, you know, it is a, a very cool dynamic, but I think what the players will tell you in softball with the 60 player roster is that they're in there with 59 of their friends and it's more of a 60 person team than it is a 15 person team uh, as it pans out every week. Right. Right. And when you think about it in that way, how do you measure success for athletes unlimited? Obviously there are the business type metrics that you're looking at in terms of numbers. Maybe there are even sport metrics, right? Like we want players to have longer careers, for example, than they used to have. But then there's also this sort of almost feel good piece that you're mentioning, this anecdotal thing where you're like, when you see them smiling, that's got to feel like at least some sort of success too. So when you think about it, how do you measure success for what you're doing? I, I think that's the cool thing about Athletes Unlimited, that, that there are other things besides just the business metrics um, that are being measured and that really matter to us. Um, in terms of operating the leagues and things like that. But I, I think that I will tell you, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for the business working. You know, I, I want women's sports to be a success. And I am a firm believer that they can be a business success, be something that is profitable and something that is viable and that these women should be able to be at the same levels they're as their male counterparts as professional athletes. So I believe in all that. And I think we have to not take our foot off the gas when we look at attendance and we look at partnerships. And when we look at media rights, those things have to be present. You're not going to be profitable without them. Um, You know, merch sales, all of those things. But I will tell you that I was standing uh, off to the side of the after party on Sunday night, um, probably the proudest of the entire league, just looking out at the sea of 60. And there's a lot of staff and other people there. But watching people truly just have fun and knowing that there weren't a lot of access to Barry, there weren't, you know, there wasn't a lot of animosity throughout or anything. It it was, there was a, uh, quite a lot of just purity in looking out at people that like each other, respect each other, and we're simply having fun together after five weeks of extremely intense competition. Yeah, from the athlete perspective too, that just, it has to feel really nice to to see that from 
for the people who are putting the product together really on the field. But then I think I also heard in a podcast interview you did a few months back that you were talking about how something that you think should happen for women's sports and is happening more and more is that it's in the kind of casual conversation that people are having about sports, the way that, you know, people might casually talk about, Oh, do you see the game on Tuesday? And it maybe they're referring to an MLB game, but maybe they're not. What if they're referring to, you know, a softball game? It doesn't just have to be yeah. the men's sports and to have that at a casual level says something. Yeah, I think that's right. right. And I think it has to, it has to come into mainstream, but you can't, something can't come into mainstream because, we want it to, or because you and I are talking about it on a podcast, it has to start, it has to become part of the casual conversation. So I remember being in, so I used to, I covered the women's college world series from the studio for eight years. So I would go to Bristol through the, through the primary tournament. And then when it got down to the best of three, the the finals, I would go to Charlotte um, with ESPN regional where you was and some other studios. So I remember being in Charlotte and the, so the whole series had gone. We were down to the finals and I was in a McAllister's deli. It was kind of my pregame. I would always go over there and get a sandwich and I was getting my, I had placed my order. I'm standing there ready for it. And the two guys who looked somewhat unlikely, I guess, to me, if I'm categorizing to be sports fans, but they're back there fixing stuff and getting my half and half tea and all that stuff. And they're talking about, the women's college world series and they know it, you know, and I thought to myself, we've arrived, we've arrived. Somebody behind the counter at this restaurant is talking about it. But why did that happen? Because college softball became commonplace on television. You started to casually see it. And when you casually see it, it's easy for you to follow along. But when you have to, you know, go over the river and through the woods and to get to a game, and be able to get and you can't watch it on your TV and you have to get it through this device and you have to subscribe here and put this in every time. It's frustrating. It's not easily accessible and it's certainly not casual. So I think we have to continue to see that placement. Um, I make a big deal out of the sports center top 10. Um, one, you know, there's a, there's a ton of reasons for it, but to, to relevant to what we're talking about right now, it becomes commonplace. When yep. you see, you know, Sports Center Top Ten is has its own life, and when you make that, you you know, you now are in the living rooms, and so I think that's always important to be in that lineup, and um, proud that we were there both with lacrosse this summer and softball. See, and that's exactly what I mean too. When I'm asking, like, how do you measure success outside of just the standard business metrics? Because and maybe it's not as cut and dry, right, as with specific numbers and things, but to see multiple times we've seen athletes make it to the top 10. And that's, that's part of that conversation like you're talking about. So I, I just think it's interesting. We talk about defining success and redefining success when we're, we're players or coaches, et cetera. But it's also interesting to think about it from, you know, business first, as you mentioned, because you have to have that stability but thinking about it from the perspective of growing the sport as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. I think, you know, there's just so, there's just so many things when you, you know, going back to the sports center top 10 comparison, you know, you can turn that on uh, any, anytime, any random given night and see 10 men 
make top plays. And yep. for me, you know, it, it, and, and part of that is just what we just talked about. The, the women's sports, they're happening. They're just not accessible. They're not easy to mm-hmm. get to. And I've watched, I've been in the studio when those guys are in the other green room or the other workspace pulling out the top 10 plays. And I know that they don't really have an agenda. They're just looking for amazing stuff. So, and fun stuff. So there should, there should always be women in there, but until it's commonplace and readily available and easily accessible, it's difficult even for them. Yep. That's very true. And I know last time we talked about too, how the Olympics and having softball on that stage led to, you know, more investment in, college softball, for example, with the SEC, et cetera, facilities, all of those things. And then we're we're looking at this sort of in the sense of progress. For professional softball, one of the elements of Athletes Unlimited that I think has been fantastic, and they constantly get shout outs, actually, is the content team. And Mm -hmm. the fact that social media is obviously now a part of the equation the way maybe it wasn't right at the very beginning of the MPF, for example, but it seems like that investment in that has also been really key because that's easy to access. To your point, that is casual. People being on social media and seeing different things being posted um, in addition to being on like ESPN and, and CBS and things. Yeah, I think uh, from point one, I will give full credit to Jonathan Soros and John Padrakoff because I think from point one, they realized the power of that one-to-one, um, that what social media enables you to do. And I will tell you that, you know, I think we have larger embodiment of content creators uh, than you see some major MLS teams have, you know, where people, you're looking at somebody else that's really trying to to reach at it and needs to reach on a social level. And so I think we have a lot of people committed to that. I think we have some really creative uh, people that work hard at it, that make sure that they're up on the trends. Our players are wild uh, over that, over the content that they get from that team. And also I think that I'll say from a broadcast standpoint, we try to make sure that the things we shoot on media day and the air on television that those are also accessible to the players. If they're mic'd up in a game, we make sure they get those clips. So I think across the board, uh, we try to make sure um, our athletes are able to, if if they're invested in trying to grow their ba- their brands, um, that they're able to do that. And I think from a commitment side, um, again, you know, everything, you, you have to be you have to dig in. You have to say, we're doing this because it's the right thing to do. This is how much it's going to cost. And, and we're committed to, to staying the course because this is important to growing the brand. So when you see Jade Hewitt out there every single minute of, of a game, constantly grabbing pictures, um, you're going to get the documentation of the event and of the competition in the way that we do, which is... Um, extremely unique I think it's very true and it's very helpful because I'll even say some some people who I've had on this show who have maybe been around the game for decades if I'll go looking for a photo of them when they played it's sometimes pretty hard even for some of the biggest names in softball to find it from back then right so the fact that we have that now and that athletes unlimited is really I mean just taking it to the next level 
I think is, is just really important. And I think it's cool that the content includes information about how they are as people. Cause you talked about how they're, they're all friends. Like the athletes enjoy the relationships between each other. Well, fans enjoy getting to know the athletes at a different level as well. And they'll have funny clips with just like people's opinions on things or what their favorite songs are, the simplest things, but it's still engaging and it's more relatable as well. It, it really is. And it may, and it's sticky, you know, as soon as they start saying, you know, that you, you have our person that, that controls a lot of our Twitter, Adeline, Adeline's standing there. So first of all, she's standing there as they're walking in. So Right away, I'm like, what's Adeline asking them today? So I want to know her <laughs> question. And then as soon as you hear the question, you know, hey, breakfast for dinner or dinner for breakfast? What's your preference? Now, I want to hear what people are saying. I want to yeah. hear the answer. So it's that kind of thing, too, that it, it sticks to you. And it's interesting enough to, uh, you know, to keep you engaged, which is, you know, the goal all the way around. So um, it's been fun. And then I think when you get to something like Little League and you're doing some type of, of, of a special event, you're able to magnify that even more. You're able to see behind the scenes even more. Um, you know, you get to a retirement. Um, you saw um, Abby Ramirez retired this year. Yeah. And, you know, there was a two minute video on kind of stitched together of people talking about her, which was super nice and super deserved. So it enables you to do a lot of things, but Jenna, you mentioned a, you know, key part right there in that, you know, we've lost so, so much of our history um, because a things weren't documented. People weren't, you know, we weren't, we weren't even being, you know, there was no constant film or recording of it in that way. And then a lot, in a lot of instances, you didn't have pictures. Um, yep. You know, I will tell you, I was dying. We had uh, Danielle Laurie called. I think she was in venue for five days this year. But, you know, there is an amazing NPF moment that Danielle Laurie was pitching. She hit Megan Wiggins for maybe a, a numerous time. And Megan Wiggins was going to the mound. She was on her way to the mound. And Lauren Lappin was catching. Lappin went out, took three steps got Wiggins and got her back in line to head to first. But I promise you, I would have made sure that made air when Wiggins was coming to bat and Danielle Laurie was on the call, but it's, you can, I, I've Googled it and searched for it. And, you know, it's just not readily available. Right. But it's a moment, you know, it's a moment that would be super fun and super interesting and might be gone forever. Mm. Well, that's the thing too, is I think some of our, you said it, our history and sometimes we wonder now when maybe newer fans or kind of younger players are getting involved in the game, like, man, they don't really know the history. Like, I remember, you know, some people didn't know who Dot Richardson was uh, when I was traveling for, for postseason, some current college softball players. And to me, that's like, how is that possible? Right. But, you know, we didn't have all of that. So the part of me even wants to try to create some sort of you know, big reference guide or something for, for softball history, but that's a, a whole other conversation. But it's nice that we know we're not going to have that problem now, like from here on out, because we do have that information and that distribution. But, but a lot of people now take that for granted. So we mm. can say like our social media and our content team is super cool and super good, but there's a whole level of appreciation for that. If yeah. you've lived through nothing 
And you realize that those moments like we're talking about, I used to stand and tell people, I would be at parks when, uh, you know, Florida Atlantic's playing. And I'm like, do you know who that woman is? You know, (laughs) how can you not know who Joan Joyce is and that she's amazing? But to so many people, they had no idea. And if you asked them if she was a slingshot or a windmill, most people would have guessed windmill. Half of those people have never heard of slingshot. So I think that, um, you know, there is a greater appreciation if you've lived through the history and, and you realize that all these moments that people love right now and are embracing and can't get enough of, those moments were still happening 20 years ago. We just yep. are never going to see them unless you saw them in real life and you can remember them. Right. And that's why sometimes, too, there's a little bit of recency bias, right? If we're talking about, like, oh, who's the GOAT, you know? And a lot of people yeah. know who Lisa Fernandez, Fernandez is because she's part of the game still, obviously, coaching and everything. But there's others that would be on the list, too, that maybe not everybody knows. Um, but yeah. they'll think about recent people because that's who they saw. But that just speaks to the importance of exposure, once again. That's exactly right. And complete names are lost. You could bring up names. You could take you know, 5,000 college players right now and ask them who Kathy Aronson is. And, you know, Kathy Aronson was a wow factor. She was unbelievable to see and, and to try and hit against. And, but so many people don't even know that, you know, wouldn't be able to tell you she was a softball player. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And it, it makes me think of this kind of, line that we walk in terms of, I think, especially in women's sports, where you want to keep pushing forward, but you want to have the gratitude for how far we've come as well. But you don't want to stop. You want to keep going forward. But sometimes it, it, those two things kind of wrestle with each other. So it's an interesting thing for us to manage. Yeah, that's for sure. And I think just, but, but I think there's so much loss, like everybody automatically goes to pay you know, it's right in front of us. And that's, you know, that's what everybody's, it's the forefront of the, uh, you know, trudge for equality. But there are so many things that if you just peel back the layers that are tragic, and losing your history is one of those. Right. Something that's interesting about Athletes Unlimited too now is that there is more and more history though. Like as we, I I think it's cool every, every time there's a champion, you know, it's like, Oh, well they're in the, they're in the history books. They are being literally their name is being written in the book, you know, as the champion. But the first season, everything was historic because everything was new. Now you have certain things that are historic within athletes unlimited, like Alyssa Denham being the first back-to-back medalist, for example. How does that sort of feel to be able to have that now where you're like, Oh wow, we're actually, we're actually building history now. Again, I think that's another layer. I think it's really cool. I mean, Taylor Moreno in lacrosse, the first back-to-back champion. And then, as you mentioned, Alyssa Denham comes in and back-to-back medals. And when I heard that one, it was kind of I – was, I was surprised by that one. I just wasn't thinking that deep. Uh, we, uh, I don't – I would say a little over a year ago, brought on um, – a sports information, sports media person. His name's Eric Rue. He kind of covers all of our sports like an SID would in college, but then he goes much deeper. He's created record books and all of that stuff that I think even some of our folks did not realize the importance of that history. 
and, you know, our social team and our broadcast team, you know, immediately are, were elated that all of a sudden at their fingertips was, has this ever happened before, you know, and so (laughs) just the, and and having been a former broadcaster, those are, you know, those are your moments, like, has, is this the longest game? Or is this the most? And when you start to now, like you said, and I think the point you're making is it really starts to matter when you hear a first ever or a this is the longest at bat ever or these are the most home runs. Uh, she's going for uh, Mia Davidson may have been hit by pitch more uh, this year. But now that now that you've gotten some history behind you, it starts to matter. And when those records are set or broken or tied or approached, you think about the people that went before. And I think our broadcasters have done a, a good job. Think Think of these people, you know, think, think what, look at Alyssa Denham. Think of that. Kat Osterman was our first ever champion. She did not repeat as a medalist. Not only did she not repeat as a champion, she didn't repeat as a medalist. So I think that, and then you, and you know how great she is. So all you have to do is say one name that this is in, you know, four seasons hasn't happened. But um, at any rate, I think that is something that uh, of course, as time goes on, those those record breaking moments even even become more significant. But you have to have the history to be able to to mark the moment. Exactly. And the fact that that is the first time that's happened, for example, it just also speaks to the level and the the world class, you know, elite players and athletes that are a part of Athletes Unlimited too, which it's hard. It's hard to do it to medal and it's hard to repeat, obviously. So I think that's that really speaks to that. And I think what I think also what what gets lost on people sometimes is that the density of the talent pool. So there's 60 players there, and you know when you go around, if you had a 20 team league, and it, it, at this level, and you had, if you had a 20 team league, you're going to have a drop off there. So when you're going through a lineup, there are breaks you get, whether it's because. Yeah. You're, you own a particular hitter that's still good, but you just have her number, or you just start to face some people that maybe aren't as good. And so you get that drop off. But in a 60 player roster, that's very difficult, especially for those folks that are in those lineups. You have four teams of that densely populated talent pool. Uh, it, it, I think sometimes that also gets, gets lost. I remember being at, you know, at a USA tryout. And they said, you're going to throw three innings. Okay. I wanted no one to get on base because I didn't want to face anyone twice. I Mm. knew if I could go three out, three up, three down, three times, I just faced everybody once. I knew how good those hitters were to be able to come around twice. And that was going to, so you look at this and you think about it and um, to be able to accomplish what they're accomplishing and being champions. And I know we talk about pitchers at the top all the time, but to be able to face that densely populated talent level in the hitters time after time and succeed is, is an amazing accomplishment. It is. I think something for college athletes to, to pay attention to college pitchers too, because, you know, we see everything's by committee now as it should be hitting is so fantastic but just to see how the pros rise to that challenge, because it is tough, you know, especially in conference and things when people know you, especially as you, you become an upperclassman. And, and those are the types of challenges that if you go to the pro level, you're going to play against a lot of the same people. Right. So it's, it is interesting. Yeah. 
there's there's always that next level. There's always something to think through. I think that definitely uh, we did see staff management start to come in a lot better um, this year, maybe better than we've we've ever seen it um, in terms of you saw pictures come out before there was a fire. Mm. You know, it wasn't always I have to get in this, you know, position of desperation before I'm coming out. Sometimes they were just like, hey, here's where we are in the lineup. I, I need to get out of here. She needs to come in. And so I thought that it, just in terms of staff management, you saw it a lot better this year. There's so many things you can learn about being a better coach. You know, I think of, for example, Morgan Zirkle, who is, you know, now the head coach at her alma mater, but she's still playing as well. And she's got some people on staff and athletes unlimited too. And they get to have both of those hats on at like different times, you know, thinking through being what you're going to do as a player, but also the strategy and, and how to manage a game as a coach, quote unquote. And so I think that's interesting too, for other people to think about for their careers beyond just playing. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, one of the things that, w- that people hesitated at when we first started to build, you know, what, what is, okay, we're going to launch softball. What does softball look like? And the, the comment of, what about just having no coaches? And then once that decision, you know, that was kind of a moment of gasping in itself. And then, and then when you started to relay that, I was on, you know, every player pitch call and you, there's no coaches. And, you know, a lot of people would, you always got a reaction and often you've got a question or a comment on that. And, but then I, I think, I think that too, I'm super proud of our players because they, they are able to manage that and, and do so well at it. And I think there are, there are times when I think to myself, uh, you know, I think I'll give you two, two instances, the squeeze play, you know, the Sierra Romero, Vic Hayward scores, Sierra puts a bunt down that, that called squeeze play. You know, they went to it, they had a moment, they thought of it, they executed it, and it was tremendous. So if if we were just talking about a normal college game, we'd talk about guts, and we'd talk about savvy, and we'd talk about, you know, all those things that, you take, that it takes to execute that play. And then I think the other moment for me, if you want to go to a totally different thing, is Abby Ramirez. So Abby Ramirez is gonna, is going to retire. Danielle Gibson is the captain. And with two outs in that game, Gibson calls timeout. I, for whatever reason, we had we were tight on her. And I saw her start to do this. And I was like, I, I was confused at the moment because it was the final game. And I thought, is she doing this for Odyssey who's on the other team? And it was the moment where she let Abby walk off and have the moment in Rosemont. And I think to myself, and I said it afterwards, I have seen Hall of Fame coaches lose that moment, not do that pomp and circumstance, not give somebody that tip of the hat and that that uh, monumental moment. But yet, Danielle Gibson did it as a captain and a player. She was in the game. Think of all that. So I think that that those are things that to me are are big and that prove you know, day in and day out, how many times did we see Odyssey take herself out and put Sandercock in or, you know, whatever it was and, and see the big picture that it's important to win and see and have confidence in someone else. And so 
you know, at the end of the day, you know, that those are always questioned like, oh, should she have gotten the points, uh, you know, from the outs? But she could have also gotten the points from the outs. She could have given up earned runs and gone backwards. She could have lost the game. You know, she had this, the state of mind to say, this is the best thing for our team. So I, I'm always really proud of those moments, too, where we see those captains take charge, make incredible decisions, and uh, the right decisions most most of the time. The retirement moments are have been some of my favorites because the, the caliber of player, but also people that we've seen have those moments in Athletes Unlimited, like a Kat Osterman. You mentioned Abby Ramirez, Amanda Chittister at one point. Courtney Gano didn't get to have that moment at the end just with AUX because of the weather and things, but she said she still felt, she came on the show and I got to talk to her about it, she still felt so at peace with how supportive everybody was around her and just the the love that she felt. And she was like, I'm so glad that I came back for AUX and had that as my final moment. So that's got to feel good too, that these athletes want that big moment culmination of most of them, a lifelong career in a sport. And they decide to have that moment in AU. I know. And how many people... When Kat did it, I was like, who wouldn't want to retire at, at Athletes Unlimited? You know, it's, <laughs> uh, it, it, it is just uh, in, incredible. And, I, it, you know, our content team made a, made a video for Gano. We, we even did it at the award ceremony, which I don't think was live. But um, I think, you know, there it is this, I, I guess, again, it is, is marking a moment in time for someone. And I think the, the videos and the, just to be able to say, you know, Abby is a hometown girl. She played high school ball at, at that stadium. And so to be able to walk off there in the way that she did, there, there can't be any, any better feeling to, to, to top your career. So I think, um, I think those are special. And I think any time that you're able to acknowledge someone and be a, be a part of an appreciation of what someone has done to, for anything. I, I think it feels good. I think it feels good if you're clapping in the stands. I can tell you, you know, it feels good if you're sitting in the truck and it has to feel good to those, those people that are on the field. And those are the big things that like, like you said, you know, of course we want women's sports to succeed from a business standpoint. Absolutely. But those are kind of those, I don't know, warm, fuzzy feelings that tap into the why for all of us, I think, are things and moments like that. And I think it's really special. And it's nice that, it, again, it's so accessible to see those moments in AU. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Well, I could keep keep on all day long. I've really appreciated the time. How could I? Um, yeah, I think it would be easy for us to, right? Which is, which is kind of the point. Um, but I've really appreciated the time that you've given me today, but also wanted to wrap up with a game that I play with everyone who comes on. I do think we played this last time. It's evolved a little bit, but it's called safer out. Okay. And, um, I'll bring up a topic. You'll, if you like it or you agree with it, you call it safe. If you don't, then you'll call it out. Okay. I'm gonna, okay. I'm going to stick with you here. I don't know if we played this before. I think we did, but I'm going to mix up the questions. Not the same okay. as right. last time. So. <laughs> um, so the first one is the conference realignments in college. Safe out. or out? Out. 
Yeah. It's been interesting to witness. I, I think what makes it out for me most of all is just, I, I believe in community and I believe in uh, natural rivalries. And I think that all of the things that some people love and live for have just been blown to smithereens for just some ch- like ridiculous chase for money. Is there not enough money in college sports? Is our coaches not making enough? And, you know, so I think that's what you continue to hear. Well, this conference offered him this much and this conference offered him this much. Is that really the bottom line? Is that better than what we were creating over here with a natural rival rivalry or, you know, whatever it might be um, of, of the just pure love of the sport and the competitions. Yeah. I think I read somewhere recently that like the, the word amateur, for example, which is what, you know, collegiate athletes were considered for a very long time um, comes from, I think the, the root of the word, a mare means or a more means love, right? And it's the idea is for love of the game. And now it seems like that's kind of shifting to where these collegiate athletes are actually more like pros. And, and that's just different. You know, fans, I think, look at college and pro differently as well. So I'm curious to see how that shakes out. I think it's also very hard on the, on the um, lesser sports and the lesser programs, the ones that aren't able to take charters and the ones that aren't able to have just training tables and everything. When you, when now it's going to take you and, and, you know, jet lag and just travel in general, travel's not easy, period. And it takes its toll on you. So now you're expected to still pass that chemistry test on Thursday when you just got back Tuesday night late and, you know, you had delays and you know, we all know every school in the country, every school, every sport in every school that's in these conferences that are now have to fly across the country are not going to be on charters. Yeah. And so it's going to be difficult and it's going and it kind of defeats the purpose. So for me, I'll, I'm not afraid to say it. The NCAA is like the parent that wants to be the friend. You know, they don't want to make the hard decisions and ground the child. They just want to, you know, sit around and drink beer together and, you know, cuss every now and then and be a buddy. And so, you know, I just think that that's what happened. Somebody's asleep at the wheel. It was the governing association. And so it's all bets are off and it's just going crazy chasing money. Mm. So with that being said, NIL, safer out. Oh, this might need a um, captain's challenge. Um, <laughs> I think in I think there's a safe component to it, but but I think with without any regulation to it, with again with that just being a free for all, I I think there are going to be so many problems. I think if you brought something like that in, it had to have a whole level of yeah. management and governance. And I don't think that's what's happened at all. I think it's just yeah. the insertion of money. And I think that that money is corrupt in many cases. So, yeah, yeah. How do you think or do you think that NIL affects pro sports and, and women, I guess, in this case? I, I think that it takes the, the problem with women pro sports is that historically 
there's been no corporate investment in in it. And that's what leads that's what leads to the salaries that you see male athletes make. It's that corporate partnership leads to uh, media and media rights. Yep. And that's where the money comes in. And so predominantly, and so with the lack of those two pieces, that's why there isn't money in, in women's pro sports. So if you now are going to start engaging with just one by one, one off stars, you still could say if the, if the money is finite, which it typically is budgeted, it went there. It went to that one Caitlin Clark over there because she's a star. And right now she's having a moment. Uh, who I love, by the way, um, yeah. Caitlin Clark. So but I'm using her as an example. But yeah. um, what it could do, what it could possibly do is sh- is show you what a Caitlin Clark can do. And when she doesn't have that college platform, if you're the if you're the NIL, if you're the person paying her for that, for her name, image and likeness, you need her to have a platform. Now, right. if she was really valuable over here with that platform, you need this new platform to be strong and maybe yeah. you would invest in that. But you're, you know, I'm in that scenario, I'm 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 banking on people having vision and I don't know if that's always the case. Yeah. Yes, I I've, I've always thought that that was interesting, it, specifically with women's sports. So I was I was interested to hear your take. That's in, yeah. All right. Well, the last one is, and this one, I, I, I guess I lied. I did ask you this one last time, but I want to see okay. if you, your thoughts are the same. Uh, bat flips, safer out. Okay. That's okay. what you said last time. Okay. Every day. I love a bat flip. <laughs> I need it. Consistency. I like it. I know you, I think you mentioned last time that, um, you know, you were hoping to get a game with Sam Chow and, and be able to cover her. And I think you eventually you did uh, in terms of broadcasting. So um, you're consistent. I like it. Yeah, I'm still, I'm, I'm right there. I need a good bat flipper. <laughs> it's entertaining. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, uh, we did an innovation summit last week, uh, Thursday mm-hmm. and Friday. It's a really cool uh, event that we did in, in our finals week. Uh, with a lot of partners, it was, it was really heavy uh, in terms of talent, just people participating with us. But Sarah Spain was there, and I was um, uh, moderating with Sarah Spain. And and uh, Savannah Collins, who's our reporter, had said, I go, hey, if you were going to ask Sarah one question, what is it? And Savannah goes, ask her if villains are important to women's pro sports. And so mm. I did. Um, and she, I, I knew, I knew her answer before I asked her, but she's like, absolutely. Yes. You know, that is fun. What, you know, and I, my sort of qualifier is, you know, I know Angel Reese's name because of this, you know, right, right. I just <laughs> like that moment. And uh, so anyway, it's, it is something that, that I think is fun. I think sometimes that's a big turnoff for people. They're super worried that, you know, whatever, it's not, uh, we're not going to fit the mold of where they want women and girls to be, but um, you know, it's sports and it's fun and it's competition. And so I think a little of the swagger and that if it's cockiness, whatever it is, I, I think it's part of the fun. Well, to your point, that's part of the casual conversation. Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark were part of the casual conversation in sports. And 
that's the casual conversation that you hear about men's sports. So, I mean, I think it's a disservice to only talk about, you know, rainbows and butterflies for women's sports because that's not (laughs) realistic. Yeah. 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 So I liked both the reactions. I didn't mind Angel doing it in the first place. And you know what? Caitlin Clark's comment was, hey, part of it. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, thank you again, Sherry. Love the shirt, by the way, for everyone that can see the AU. It's one of my favorite ones. (laughs) It's a good one. I like it. (laughs) It's great to have Sherry back on the show to catch up. And kind of like Athletes Unlimited, I feel like this show, you know, it also launched in 2020. And we're getting to a point where we actually have history with our guests. And it's been fun to just kind of grow alongside of it in that way. So with that, let's transition to the foul tip of the week. This week's foul tip is about taking the phone call. Sherry literally took the phone call when AU reached out to her initially when she was still the NPF commissioner. Fast forward to now, and she's an executive for AU elevating softball and multiple other women's sports. I just think that the metaphor here is important because you never know what could happen. So take the call, you know, explore the option, evaluate the opportunity, at least learn about it. Because I think regret comes from never taking the call at all. If you take the call and it's not for you, you're in the same position you were in before with maybe even a little bit more knowledge. But I do want to caveat this by clarifying too. I'm not saying to take every phone call, quote unquote, that comes up in your life. Because in today's world, we overextend ourselves all the time. We can actually be guilty of taking too many phone calls and just getting overwhelmed. And I do think there is power in saying no. But I'm also a believer in listening to your gut. So I'm talking about those opportunities or those phone calls that you have a feeling about or that maybe they make you wonder. They've piqued your interest for some reason, even if you can't explain it, because it might be worth it to take those phone calls. Maybe you want to play in college in a school that you hadn't considered as interested in you. Or maybe you're not looking for a job, but you learn about a role that sounds really interesting to you. If there's a chance that they could invest in you, maybe you can invest a little time into them. Because you'd want to learn more about it before saying yes. So learn about it before saying no, too. Because you never know. How many times do we hear stories about people who had an unexpected opportunity that came up? Whether it was professional, personal, whatever. And they're so grateful now because even though they didn't picture it that way back then, now they wouldn't have wanted it to happen any other way. But they had to take that phone call first to find that out. So that's it. Take the phone call. That's a foul tip of the week. You've been listening to Believe in Softball, part of Believe Network and presented by Bet Online. The show is available anywhere you get your podcasts, wherever you listen, including Believe.com and YouTube too. Subscribe to the show, rate the show, and if you liked it, write a review for it. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Again, that's B-L-E-A-V at Believe in Softball. And you can reach out to me personally on Twitter at JennaBacera01 and Instagram at JennaBacera as well. Thank you for tuning in and catch you soon.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.